Hi, this is Jackson from ozpodcast.com.au, and you are listening to Nerd Culture Podcast, another great Australian podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Nerd Culture Podcast, our first episode for 2014. And what a year it's been so far. It's only been a couple of days, but it's, <laughs> but it's been a good couple of days. I'm on a holiday break from work, so I'm good with it. Uh, my name is David, and with me are the NCP crew, Richard. 2014? What happened in 2013? I'm confused. Luke. I know what happened to the end of 2013. We were subjected to Vikingdom and Can't Stop the Music. <laughs> Viking Doom, that was awesome. Viking Doom, the greatest <laughs> film called you know, Viking actually, Doom ever I looked made. it up, you know, Viking, uh, Can't Stop the Music is actually a yearly New Year's tradition in Australia TV. Did you know that? Really? Like every year apparently it plays. Obviously nobody watches the TV. Know, they, they do realise that the village people's <laughs> popularity does. died about two years after the movie was well, released. I, I right? looked it up, it's, it's, <laughs> it's true. Uh, and Crystal? I've been on holidays all year. Woohoo! <laughs> and for this episode we also have Bo. All right, we're all in the same place. I think 2014 is going to be uh, a little more bow. <laughs> I, I believe in 2014. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. It really was. It, it's going to be a very bodacious year. Oh. <laughs> don't, don't stop believing. <laughs> we're all wearing our bow ties. Oh, oh, okay, okay. we're kind of cool. No, that's, okay. and, and this is the kind of champagne <laughs> comedy that you can come to expect from Nerd Culture <laughs> Podcast in 2014. Once upon a time, we were a funny podcast. <laughs> what happened? So that's right. For this episode, we have the entire crew. Yeah, the, uh, the OGs and the NG. What? <laughs> <laughs> the listeners will know what that means. Right, okay. The people who <laughs> listen to the show will know what that means. Right, okay, good. Because <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> and I'm on the show. What does that say? <laughs> Uh, so for this, uh, as, as, all, as we've done every year, this our first episode for the year will be our best of for the previous year. So this episode is our best of for 2013. We're going to be covering our, our best film, best book, best comic, well in Crystal's case, no comic, NA, uh, best TV show, and our best, our, you know, not really the best, but at least our memorable event from the, from the year. Yeah, from I was told you can't count only three pages. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can't count that Star Trek comic that you've heard the rest of the Cool. And uh, as, as we've got the entire crew, uh, we're going to be covering a lot of stuff, so this episode may be a little bit longer than usual, uh, but it won't be horrendously long. But it's all quality, so you should be glad. The more of us you have, the better off it should be. That's right. We're making your 2014 complete by being a presence in your life. That's right. You would think so, right? Yeah, yeah exactly right. So. How'd everybody's uh, New Year's Eve go? <laughs> well, kingdom and can't stop the music. Yeah, uh, I, I learnt uh, on New Year's Eve that you can't stop the music, and in fact, nobody can stop the music. I like. I also liked it that every time we turned it over to can't stop the music, there was no music. Yeah, it was, it was all the boring acting there was, bits in the, in the there, between. There was a lot of Steve songs. Gutenberg, though. <laughs> <laughs> it was an all Steve Gutenberg New Year's Eve. What did you do for New Year's Eve? I actually, I wimped out, man. I went to bed. My wife had to wake me up at midnight so I could see the ball drop. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a very, I had a very boring New Year's. Too much Warcraft. 
Yeah, too much Warcraft, and uh, you know, I got the spoilers from you because you were like, you know, it's already 2014 here, and I was like, okay, no space aliens. I'm going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't been invaded yet. There was no, you know, no computer yeah, bug or yeah. anything like that. I just, obviously. I just call you every day, and I go, all right, you're a day ahead of me. <laughs> uh, monkeys, monkeys, no. Space aliens? No. Okay, I'm going back to bed. <laughs> you know what? One day you're gonna call him. He's gonna be like, "Yep, yeah, zombie apocalypse has already started here, so be prepared." Nah, I gotta, I gotta add zombies to my checklist now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. They should, they should have been number one on your checklist. <laughs> we live right next to the the forensic center too, so if it starts, it's gonna start here. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, we're ground zero. <laughs> Bloody Americans. No offense. <laughs> Americans got it. Oh, <laughs> Actually, actually New, Zealand, New Zealand cops at first, because they're even ahead of us. So. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so our, our best of 2013, we're going to start with Richo. We're going to go through our best films. We're going to start with Richo. Richo's was The Imposter. Yeah, this was, it was kind of an interesting year for films. I, I saw a lot of good films, but there weren't really too many films that really stood out and said, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so it came down to two films. Um, one was Elysium. Uh, which I thought was a really good science fiction film. But um, I saw a documentary called The Imposter, which is just just crazy. Like, just an amazing story mm. about um, a European guy who pretended to be an American, a grown-up American child who'd been kidnapped, like, years earlier and um, was actually, like, shipped to America and, and hooked up with this family that weren't his family. But um, what, what, what amazed me about it was just how... Everybody was just so like anxious to believe that this was their son hmm. coming want, back. You know, they wanted it so much, even though that this guy just bore no resemblance. <laughs> he whatsoever doesn't even look like him. Um, yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, weird. so it's and it, I mean, it was a, it was a fascinating story, but also kind of harrowing story for the family. Yeah. Mm. But just made into a, a really, really intriguing documentary, mm. and um, yeah. So in in a year where I did, a lot of films just didn't stand out for me, um, certainly The Imposter was the standout. There were actually a, a, a fair few good docos this year, but mm. The Imposter was the one that really stood out in my mind. Yeah, it's actually a very well... It's not just a point-and-click, you know, watch Talking Heads. They actually tried to create a narrative and yeah. try to create suspen- um, tension and um, suspension of disbelief within a documentary, which is kind of kind of interesting. It almost plays out like a film, yeah. except that, you know, you've got people being interviewed. So I think it's an excellent documentary. Awesome. So next up we have Luke, and his favourite film was uh, a foreign one. <laughs> um, my, uh, that, I've got to be, um, uh, got to be honest here. The, um, I think the film that I've chosen, which is a film called Blanca Nivez, was actually made in 2011, but it didn't start playing in festivals here until this year, and mm-hmm. it didn't get a wide release until this year, so I'm making it um, uh, my film of the year. Um, it is effectively the, the Snow White story, uh, transplanted to 1930s Madrid, um, involving the, uh, set firmly in the world of bullfighting. So the entire story is Snow White learns how to become a bullfighter. I'm sorry, that's just bizarre. <laughs> that's like, crazy. <laughs> and it's, it's one of the... It's one of the it, but it actually plays... You know, for the most part, it actually sticks to the, the story quite well. Um, Does it, it have dwarves? It has dwarves. All right. Do, are the dwarves bullfighters? The dwarves are travelling bullfighters. Okay, that's that's automatically made the film awesome. Um, I wonder who they would be in bullfighting they- clowns. <laughs> yeah. How do they hold the little red, the real little red flag high enough? Okay, they fight <laughs> calves, not full scale bulls. I thought like maybe one of them would stand on the shoulders of the other. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for. <laughs> no, not, not, not quite that. And the dwarves unfortunately enter the um, enter the story a bit late. 
Um, but yes, it, it it does follow the, the Snow White narrative, but it's also about um, being taught by her father how to become this legendary bullfighter, and she loses her memory at one point, and um, but you know mysteriously still retains the knowledge of how to fight bulls and things like that. I'm not going to. Well, spoil that, that's it. important because <laughs> if I lost that, my memory, that, I'd still want to know how to fight bulls. That's a life um, skill that you need to have. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, in terms, but it, but the other interesting there are the other interesting thing about it is that it's um, shot in black and white, and it's a silent film. So, uh, tonally it shares a lot with um, The Artist, which was the best winner of the 2012 Academy Awards. Um, and it's sort of an interesting little companion piece, I think. Um, you know, there's a, a sort of darker element, but also a, a sort of strange, light-hearted element to it as well. Um, all in all, uh, a, a very well-crafted, well-made film. That's awesome. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I have seen the trailer to mm. it. And it does, I know, I want to see. And it yeah. looks magnificent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I now want to see it based on the fact that it's bullfighting dwarves in a silent black and white film. I mean, that's just awesome. That's your only reason. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's crazy. That's reason enough. <laughs> <laughs> Is your film still Hobbit 2? I didn't say Hobbit 2. Now that we've seen it, you did say Hobbit 2. <laughs> I said what? Hobbit. Well, the, the Hobbit, Hobbit 1. Part the 2. Hobbit. Oh, The Hobbit. The Hobbit. The Hobbit 1. Wasn't it your same? Wasn't that one for last year? Mm. Our best offer last year? Was yeah, it, that was. That was your pick. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Obviously, I didn't see anything better this year. <laughs> <laughs> so, what did you want to go with? You want, Hobbit. You want to go with the Hobbit part two? One. One again. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, cool. <laughs> this year sucks so badly that my last year's film was actually the best film of this year as well. <laughs> All right, well, next up we're up with Crystal <laughs> with the Hobbit part one again. Well, I did. I did flick to. to uh... To try and jog my memory about what actually came out this year, I did flick through a list of 50 films from something.com. I don't know what it was. <laughs> something.com. Yeah, I looked at Empire Magazine's list and then my film wasn't on that list anyway. So I don't know. I can't remember what it was. I found it through Twitter. Um, and well, a couple of films jumped out at me. Like Star Trek might have got my, my choice if it had have been a... Good film. film. Yeah, if it, had, if, if it wasn't for all the lists. It might have been on the list if it wasn't actually crap, isn't no, it? Right? What I'm saying is I enjoyed it, but if it didn't have stupid things in it, like the Enterprise being under the water... Thank you. Uh, Fully agree with that. You know, if it had a decent story without so many plot holes, it might have made my top. Because the acting was really good and the visuals were quite good, except for the lens flare, JJ. Lens flare! <laughs> Um, and I quite enjoyed Thor, but it was never going to be my film of the year. It's the second Thor that is, not the first Thor. Dark World? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Thor, Thor Begins. Thor 2. <laughs> Thor Begins. Thor the Man of Steel. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'm sticking with the Hobbit. Well, you did see the second Hobbit, but not until this year. We can still count it because it came I, out. I actually. can still count it, but I enjoyed the first one better. I know the the boys are going to disagree, but I enjoyed the first one more. I, I felt the second one. Second one's got middle film sim- syndrome, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, well, we're reviewing uh, Hobbit two in uh, two episodes time. Yeah, so I won't I won't uh, launch into that one too much. I flipping through the list, I did note down some films I hadn't seen this year that I might like to see, so I'll, I'll speak to our host later about that. Maybe that will some films <laughs> okay. for me. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, next up we have Bo, and his film of the year was Oblivion. Yeah, I picked Oblivion. Um, this came out This came out in 2013. I, I saw a lot of movies this year because of film flams, basically. Uh, but none of them except for this one came out this year. And I know I was allowed to pick one that, you know, didn't necessarily come out in 2013, but that I watched in 2013. But I really wanted to pick one that kind of represented the year for me. 
I don't know how you guys feel, but not a lot of not a lot of great movies I feel like came out this year. No. Um, I really don't know what else I would have picked. Um, but the one reason I really liked Oblivion was that I heard from so many people that it was just utter crap and it was going to be terrible. And whenever I saw it, and it was actually pretty intriguing, although, I mean, it is kind of like it pulls from about every other science fiction movie you can think of. Oh, definitely. Um, this, yep. is, this is really the only one that has them all rolled into one movie. So <laughs> yeah. it's, if you haven't got time science... to watch all the others, just watch this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a mashup of other science fiction movies. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I thought it was a lot of fun, and the the main reason I like it was because it was such a sleeper hit for me. Like everybody told me this movie was terrible. I think that Tom Cruise just kind of gets a lot of flack. I think almost anything that comes out with Tom Cruise in it is going to be harshly um, criticized, mm-hmm. um, even if it is a pretty good movie. And all in all, I liked it. I like the premise of the story. Uh, I do think that it kind of plays off of other other works of science fiction. But um, I mean, don't doesn't most science fiction you know kind of plays off of something else, and most mm-hmm. art in general plays off of something else. So I mean, yeah. I wouldn't necessarily say that's a fault, although, although um, I do see it's pretty glaring in this in this one. But um, but I enjoyed it. I liked it. Liked it a lot. I think uh, it's a fun movie. Yeah, no, look, I actually agree with you. It, um, I was pleasantly surprised as well, and I must admit I went in going, oh, it's a Tom Cruise science fiction film, it's probably going to be bad. Right. And, and like you said, I, I was pleasantly surprised as well. And um, Look, it, it is a mishmash of other films, but at least it it, it mishmashes those ideas in an, in an interesting way. Hmm. I think it's a, a yeah. good way to put it. It's not a Shia LaBeouf ripoff. It's, it's not, not a Shia LaBeouf plagiarism, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's not as mismatched as uh, Total Recall was. Mm. Oh, and God. it's visually magnificent. Yeah, it, it is, it's yeah. yeah. It, it's strongest selling point, I think, is the yeah. production. It's, like, it's actually one of my favourite film flames, I think, that we've done. Is, it, was, it, was an entertaining, yeah, yeah. it was an entertaining film flame and an entertaining film, so it was good. Yeah. Cool, thanks, Mark. Now we'll uh, finish off our best of films. We'll go with myself, and my pick was Stoker. It was a hard, a hard choice for me. I actually saw, uh, unlike the, the others, I actually think that this year wasn't too bad for films, and I saw quite a few this year. Um, even if they didn't come out this year, at least I saw them, uh, like um, Shame, for example. I only saw Shame came out in 2011, but I only just saw it. Oh, I thought you said Shane. No, not Shane, no. Shane! <laughs> Shane! Shane! <laughs> Come I, back, saw, Shane! I saw that many, many years to ago. Confu- to, confu- to confuse the issue even further, the Australian <laughs> remake of Shane is called Shame. Yeah. Uh, with, with, with Hugh Jackman's wife. Yeah. <laughs> That's a disgrace. Anyway, so yeah, um, Michael has been a Shane, which, which I, I quite enjoy. I also saw uh, a, little, a little sleeper hit called Short Term 12, which I thought was... Awesome. Yeah, I've heard a lot um, of good stuff about that. And uh, I highly recommend uh, for, for anybody. Uh, but I went with Stoker because Stoker is the one that sort of stuck with me the most. I actually watched it twice. Um, I, the first time I watched it, I was like, I, I watched it mainly out of curiosity because it's, it's directed by the uh, by, by the same director as Old Boy. And uh, although I can't sort of can't recall his name right precisely, Old Boy is not exactly the sort of film that you. It's, it's his first English language film, mm-hmm. and Old Boy is pretty out there. <laughs> so yes. for anybody, it's it's pretty full on stuff. Chan Wook Park. Yeah, Chan Wook Park, yeah. And um, so when I heard that he was doing an English language drama film, um, I was intrigued. And so I saw it based on that premise. And I was, just, and I was blown away. I was like, this is, this is magnificent. Uh, it's, it's visually awesome. It's, uh, it's not the most original story in the world, but still, still great. And uh, the acting performances from all involved, uh, 
Mia, and I can't pronounce her last name, is it Wazowski? Wazowski. Yeah, Wazowski uh, is great. No, Mike Wazowski. Yeah, Mike Wazowski. <laughs> um, uh, Nicole Kidman knocks it out of the park. Um, it's, it's actually it's one of those one of those roles where I don't I don't want to pick on the girl, but she she looks kind of weird. <laughs> she, she's, she's she's got you know the, the plastic surgery has sort of gone just maybe one step too far. Do but you, in this role, it actually works. That Ice Queen thing, it works. Do you forget that she's Nicole Kidman? <laughs> no, I have that, <laughs> I, I have that trouble with with watching her sometimes. I just can't forget that she's Nicole Kidman. That, that, she doesn't, that's a, that's she an doesn't merge point. into a character. No, she is still Nicole Kidman. <laughs> no, but, um, and uh, and and every every other uh, person involved is just great stuff. So um, check it out. That's Stoker. Okay, so uh, moving on to TV. So Richo's choice for TV was Game of Thrones. What what it really amazed me this um, with television at the moment, um, Hollywood has become movie movie Hollywood that is has become very 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 bad like everything is just you know crap remakes and you know crap sequels and there's just not a lot really um, creatively going on whereas television on the other hand is absolutely fantastic and has been for the last few years it's just you know, choosing my television show this year there were so many great shows I could have chosen from that it's amazing it's amazing to think that so much creativity is going on on television right mm. now and so little is going on in Hollywood movies. Game of Thrones has become the show that um, I just, I don't watch it when it's on. Mm. I wait until it's all done and I can sit down and watch it all because I, I just, I cannot bear to watch just one episode of this show at a time. I've got nice. to sit down. And I, seriously, I watched the entire season in one day. Yeah. Um, three we're talking about? Yeah, this yeah. is season three, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, it, it's been a great show since it started. It, I, I thought it lagged a little bit in season two. There were a couple of stories that didn't really progress all that much but uh, I mean season three they've just gone all out and it was just uh, it was just one just incredible moment after another and then every obviously everything building up to uh, the Red Wedding mm. uh, and the you know, the big shock of the Red Wedding and um, but yeah just just a fantastic show and um, yeah I just can't wait for the next season and if you haven't seen it then sit because it's just awesome and we're all nerds and it's one of the best nerd shows out there mm. <laughs> but uh, don't read up on it because you know. Yeah, don't 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 have the don't have the, uh, the the big surprises spoiled for you by people at work because that kind of does detract <laughs> a little bit. It is, one of, it is one of those shows. Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. Game of Thrones is magnificent. Uh, so next up we have Luke, and his was the story of film. Um, this is again like my film, my um, my feature film. This could be a. Um, Probably considered um, something a series from last year, but it wasn't broadcast here on Australian screens until this year. Um, and that's when I saw it. Um, the story of film is a documentary is a documentary series uh, written and directed by Mark Cousins, all about um, the progression of film from its starting point to the current day, looking at all the innovative techniques and all the places where film started around the world and how filmmakers have not just you know made popular films, but have actually chosen techniques that have actually pushed the language of film as a storytelling medium, and then tries to chart how those techniques have um, tracked um, through the decades. Um, that's awesome. Did they have an episode on lens flare? No, because that's <laughs> not an innovation. Funny that, no. <laughs> um, well, it, 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 for, for a long time, lens flare was considered a mistake I know, in that's films. One of the points he makes is um, uh, looking at uh, an old silent film whose name I think is called um, Blood on the Page. I can't remember the exact title, but it's a dream sequence in which a, ma in which a man is actually um, going through a corridor, but gravity has, 
gravity has been switched, so instead of being able to walk normally, he's got to roll along a series of doors um, in, in just one sort of long tracking shot. And then he instantly, you know, charts that idea and transplants it to talk, and then talks about, say, the fight scene in Inception, in which gravity is actually playing. Yeah, yeah, that's what, exactly so what I was just thinking. Um, so they didn't have the technology to roll the corridor. Yeah, so but, they had to do it. But, he's, but, you know, the idea being that, you know, that the idea is still prevalent in the yeah. in the filmmaking language, and he doesn't just stick to um, say Hollywood films. Although he does talk, you know, he can't avoid talking about Hollywood films. It is Hollywood has been an innovator in cinema for quite a long time, but he also tries to, t- to talk about um, the innovations that happened elsewhere as well. You know, the experimental films of say um, the New Wave, and um, you know, but also you know the first film in say India, or the first film in say Pakistan. Okay. And try to chart how innovative those filmmakers have been as well. So not just being um, homogenized by Hollywood or England, but trying to talk about um, the world as a uh, global innovator of film. Um, it's a fascinating documentary and really well worth the effort. Yeah. It's one of those documentaries where I went, "Wow, there's a lot of stuff here that I haven't seen, but there's a lot of stuff here, and big, there's a lot of stuff here that I now want to see." Mm. Um, and but, and also stuff that you've seen in the past, but you now sort of look at it in a new light because mm. you're now seeing p- parts of it that you wouldn't have necessarily thought about in the past. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Amazing series. Mm. I'll check it out. It sounds awesome. And mm. the guy has an awesome Scottish accent too. Mm. <laughs> so it's, it's just brilliant listening to him talk. Is it the same Scott, Scott that walks around and checks out like geography and stuff? No. Oh, you mean the guy that does coast, <laughs> yeah. the coastline Yeah, the show. coastline show. No, no, different guy. He's got an awesome voice. Yeah. <laughs> He just looks like he's just going to go mental. At <laughs> Does he talk about mother at any point? <laughs> but he is um, a, a bit disparaging of current current trends in filmmaking. Um, he keep towards the towards the end of the series when he's trying to get to the modern modern stuff. Um, he has uh, a bit of a, a sly dig at um, hobbits and uh, blue aliens. <laughs> blue aliens, really? Yeah, like just just meant off the cuff comments and they. You know, um, this is innovative, but you know, eventually, you know, hobbits and blue aliens did, will take did, over. Did you also mention stuff how not got nothing against hobbits and blue aliens, but it's, in, terms, in terms of in terms of technique, mm-hmm. does he also mention the fact that you just can't have a, a, a basic conversation anymore? Like the camera has to keep moving from person to person to person to person. It can't just yeah. pull back and have both uh, people in the same shot. From memory, I think he glances over a little bit. By that stage, he's actually talking more. He begins to talk more about. Um, some of the more weirder films being done overseas and some of the more unusual ideas that those filmmakers are bringing. So he doesn't necessarily talk about mistakes. Like, where, it's like, well, why are we now changing this? No, he doesn't talk about mistakes. No. It's more the about... The focus is on the, on the positives. On the yeah. positives. Oh, yeah. okay. well, I, I don't from, want to watch it then. This is kind of <laughs> you watched an episode of Boston Legal last night. No, no, no. The Boston Legal <laughs> thing, I can, I can let it go because it, it does what it does. I'm mainly talking about Born Ultimatum. Mm. And it's and, oh, it's, yeah. and it, it's just that one scene where there's two people having a conversation, but you don't know who he's talking to for most of the time. It's not meant because it's being mysterious; it's because the camera work is so crap, and you actually <laughs> yeah. can't tell that he's talking to yeah, somebody. Yeah, the, the camera moves yeah, around, right. and suddenly two thirds of the screen is taken up mm. by a character's back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. It's like from the back. Anyway, anyway, I just that sort of stuff. That's really right. Calm down, deep breaths. <laughs> Moving on to Crystal, and her choice was the roast. Yes, uh, for international listeners, The Roast is an Australian uh, satirical news show that's on ABC2 here, which is our secondary ABC channel. Um, goes for about eight to ten minutes. Doctor Who fans will probably know it because it's on, was it just before or just after? Just before. Just, just before. before, yeah, just before Doctor, Doctor Who, Who repeats. <laughs> <laughs> it, was between, it was in between Speaks and Specs and Doctor Who. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> 
good slot for it. <laughs> <laughs> you often see people on Twitter going, I wish this show would get off, I just want to watch Doctor Who. <laughs> Whereas we're sitting there going, we wish this show went longer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it Not that we bit, don't like Doctor Who. Don't it was a bit um, hit and miss when we first started watching it, but uh, it really hit its stride during the Australian election campaign, especially the Mark Humphrey segment. Uh, he, he's just sort of rapid-fire comments on the on the election itself. His method of delivery is absolutely masterful. Oh, Mark, my, Mark Humphreys is the man. My all-time <laughs> favourite bit is when he... So I can't even remember what the story was about now, but he does this Alan dance, Alan DeGeneres. He does his dance, and it manages to look hilarious, but really creepy at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I actually tweeted that, and he, um, he tweeted me back. He said, oh, that's a good combination, hilarious and <laughs> creepy. creepy. Um, so, um, anyone internationally who may want to have a look, it is actually on YouTube. So, have a look at it. It's it's um, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, next up we have Bo, and his pick was Breaking Bad. Yeah, well, I almost have I almost have two picks for 2013, but um, but my final pick was uh, was Breaking Bad, and I, and I can explain. Um, so, every once in a while you watch a show that is just so good that from then on you compare every TV show that you watch within the same genre to that show. Mm -hmm. Um, And for me, like science fiction, I'll compare every sci-fi show I ever watched to Star Trek. And I'll compare every like mystery uh, soap opera type show to Lost. Um, Well, now I have a new comparison show for gritty uh, crime dramas. Breaking Bad is is that for me. That's now my new like standard for that type of show, mm-hmm. and um, it's because never has a show like really just grasped me that way. Like I mean, I started watching the show not this year. I actually started watching it probably um, in 2012, but the show's finale was 2013. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I burned through the first you know three or four seasons to catch up to where the show was at, probably in like two days, just because wow. I kept. I just I just kept having to watch the next one. You know, I mean, it's this weird plague that gets on you where you're like, I'm just going to watch one more, just one more, yeah. and then I'm going to go to sleep. It's like it's like 4 a.m., I got to go to work at 9, I can get five solid hours of sleep. <laughs> it sounds like Larry Miller's five levels of drinking. <laughs> um, but, but, yeah, it just it's just that kind of show where it just has these cliffhangers, and you have to watch the next episode, and you have to watch the next episode. But, you know, in a way, you're doing yourself a disservice with this show by, by binging it like that. Um, because whenever I caught up to the show, and I had about two seasons that I had to watch every Sunday with everybody else, you know, during those two seasons, I, I caught a lot more subtlety to the show that I didn't catch when I was watching it so fast. And, um, like, Brian Cranston is just amazing in this. Hmm. Um, the character that Brian plays in this almost has they never call it a split personality he doesn't necessarily have a split personality but he puts on a different persona Mm. whenever he has to make a decision that walter white would not normally make like walter white the family man would not um well i can't spoil anything but he would not do certain things that the character heisenberg would do on the show Mm -hmm. and so walter's way of like justifying this is he sort of he sort of builds up this heisenberg character that does the things that walter would never do and Brian Cranston, as an actor, his mannerisms, like the way he breathes, like everything about him is different whenever he is in Heisenberg mode. Like everything is different. And it's just really, like had anybody else, anybody else played that, that role, 
I don't think the show would have been as successful as it was. I mean, that's really what won it over for me was Brian Cranston's acting and the difference between Walter and Heisenberg. And the final episode of the show, I'm about to spoil everything. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the final episode of the show is all about, do you think these are Walter's decisions or Heisenberg's decisions? Hmm. Because that changes your perspective on what you think the character is doing, whether he's going out to save his family or whether he's going out to save his money, because Heisenberg would be after the money. Walter would be after the family. And so like, it's just it adds just such a huge element to the show and it's such a subtlety that i kind of feel like now that the show's off the air and it's on netflix people are going to binge through this and they're going to watch it so fast just like i did the first three seasons they're not going to catch that that subtlety Mm. um there's another thing like walter he picks up something from some like anytime someone has to uh, I, don't, I don't know how much I can say without spoiling it. Like, anytime he has to kill somebody on the show or somebody has to be put away somehow, mm. he, like, picks up a part of them. Like, he like he starts doing something that they did. And they never say it. Like, it's one of those things where they show you, you – they never come out and say, oh, now that I killed this person, I'm drinking the same drink that they do. Mm. It's just kind of this subtle thing that, like, you just watch it. You know, it's just building Heisenberg's character as the show goes mm. on. Um, and it's an amazing show. I recommend it for pretty much anybody. I got my mom watching it right now. Um, <laughs> I don't know that she'll get it the same way I did, but <laughs> well, I was going to say so. My almost my second choice yeah. was going to be Dexter because the finale was on the same. I think it was the same night as uh, as Breaking Bad. Like they they ended the same around the same time period, yeah. and the two shows are compared a lot. Um, and 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 Dexter's a really good show. I'm watching it right now, so it's not mm. my 2013 pick because I haven't actually completed it yet. Yeah, but, but how far in are you? Um, I'm in season five now. I'm like halfway through season five. Right. Well, you're um, pretty much exactly the same point that I'm at at the moment, then as well. Really? Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, well, I don't I'm, want to say my next bit. Then. I'm probably about. Yeah, a th- yeah. I'm probably about a third of the way through season five at the moment. So when you get to you, when you get to the end, it will not be your pick for the year. I can assure you of that. Okay, so finishing up our best of TV with moi, and I chose Walking Dead season four. Season four, I think, is uh, season four is under a, a new showrunner. What's bro? What's his name? Scott Gimple. And uh, he's doing an excellent job, I think. He's, he's, uh, he's brought in some fresh ideas that have uh, erased the bad taste of season three. Um, so I just want to say, this show has had more showrunners <laughs> than yeah, a long-standing soap opera. And they finally got it right. <laughs> um, season, I mean, season three was not terrible by any means. It, w- it wouldn't be this, the show that I'd watch to get the Breaking Badness. <laughs> sort of <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, but season four is, has uh, trumped it in every way possible. It's, it's, Walking Dead for me has been uh, quite hit and miss. Like the first, the first half of season one is brilliant, and the second half of season one is some of the worst TV I've ever seen. So it's it's really odd in just sort of how Walking Dead sort of works. I'm so it's, even individual episodes and seasons can be very hit and miss. Um, but season four, I think, has been the, the one season that's been consistently good from start to finish, um, and has has been a much uh, a must watch for me uh, every morning on the train. <laughs> <laughs> on my iPad, <laughs> freaking, <laughs> freaking out, freaking, freaking out the people, people around out. you. Season four is uh, is magnificent, and um, it's it, even if you're, you're having trouble sort of getting through um, some of the weaker elements of the earlier seasons, stick with it uh, just for the awesomeness of four. And and uh, I can't wait for the continue. I mean, season four is actually not even over yet; they're on hiatus, so uh, I can't wait for the continuation of that. I can give you my two-word comment. Yeah, zombies. No. okay so moving on to our best books of 2013 richo and caves of steel 
Yeah, this is a bit of a cop-out. I actually didn't read a lot of books this year outside of the books we read for the podcast. I'd like to point out something here. Uh, Richo's choice for best book was my choice for last year. Too. Oh, there you go. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. But we did read it. We did read it this year. Like, was yeah, it as in part of the podcast, the because I read it yeah. last year on my own. Um, so I think it was, it was, what, was around about episode 52 or thereabouts? Yeah, the anniversary 53, episode. the anniversary episode that we reviewed this. So I won't go into a lot of the details. Go back and listen to what we said on, uh, on uh, that show. But Caves of Steel, awesome. That's all you need to know. As, uh, Isaac Asimov <laughs> is, you know, arguably the best overall science fiction writer. Um, arguably, arguably, there's no argument about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's right. Best are all the way. And uh, and um, yeah, I'd, and, say, um, I'd say as is in, in terms of his entire out, in terms of his yeah, entire output, then, yeah, Asimov that, that's is where actual. I was going for. I'd go with Asimov. Yeah, Be- best is still better. Yeah, and. Um, <laughs> As in best, best, yep, the, the best. best. Yeah, shut up. I'm talking about my book. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm talking here. Yeah, if you want to talk about best, you do it on your own time. <laughs> well, I apologize. Um, Continue. But yeah, no. The, um, just briefly, the combination of sort of you know hard-boiled noir detective type story with you know cool robots and you know mm. awesome future. Just a, a brilliant book, and um, I, I think definitely the best book we reviewed this year. Mm. Episode fifty-two. If you want to. Thank you very much. So you got it right. Well done. Uh, so next up for our books, we have Luke with Phoenicia's World. I would have liked to have um, uh, given a shout out to, and talk about um, a book called Theatre of Gods, which is a book that I've actually been keen to read, but I never got a chance to actually sit down and read it properly. So the other, my other pick was um, uh, Phoenicia's World by Ben Jeeps, which is, um, to be fair, not you know the, the greatest book ever, but I thought it was certainly an enjoyable read. This year, it um, con- it's a split narrative story concentrating on Alejandro and his um, younger brother Matteo. It's set on, on an ice world, um, which overhead is a wormhole that allows the inhabitants of the ice world to contact Earth. However, the wormhole um, collapses in on itself. Oh no! Um, <laughs> causing a widespread panic on on the ice world, causing Alejandro to have to take um, a generation ship called the Phoenicia back to Earth to get help. To try and get help from um, the Earthers, but on the uh, at the same time, um, at the time his younger brother Matteo was born at the time of the wormhole collapse, and so Matteo's storyline is actually going is actually looking at the more the political infrastructure of the world and seeing Matteo's rise from not quite the slums because he comes from a, a wealthy family, but having to go from you know the bottom rung on the ladder to effectively ruling the world himself, which is actually the more interesting story of the two, um, and so he creates an interesting little uh, political dynamic on the world. Uh, seeing Matteo's uh, scheming and manipulations in an attempt to regain to regain power at the same time, his his older brother has gone to Earth to um to to seek help, but all the problems that that causes because there's been friction between um, the ice planet and Earth itself, um, which I thought for, uh, created a, a pretty involving um, if not brilliant novel, um, but it's my pick of the year. Awesome, thanks. That sounds intriguing. Hmm. Yeah. Wormholes. Doesn't sound very good at all. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> it's just that, that, sort of split, that split narrative thing. It's, it reminds me of Ender's Game where you've got all the cool Ender sh- mm. and then you've got the boring as stuff with his brother and sister. No, no, it's, it's, not, it's not. No, it's not. It's not. It's not quite at that level. And you know, it actually tries to concentrate on this is all the, the stuff with the sister was boring at all. <laughs> boring. All the stuff with all the stuff with the Matos, I, I will confess, is more interesting than all the stuff with 
um, the older brother. Right. But that's because there's a bit more involvement going on. There were, the, the stuff with the older brother is actually still quite interesting yeah. to read as well. Do you find out why the warehouse collapses? Um, yeah, but to give that, if you're actually going to read the, the profits book, sort of disappear. Mm, no, it's not deep. It's not, <laughs> it's not deep space nine. Um, but uh, I don't. Avery Brooks. It, 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 is, it is actually part of right. what the um, what what's going on in the in the story and on the world. So I don't want to actually mention that. Oh, okay, we'll actually give it away. Awesome. No, that was that was a good review. It was good. It was, it was worth it. That whole split narrative thing where like one side's boring and one's it reminds me of like when you're watching Next Generation and then a Loxana Troy episode comes out. <laughs> Yes. Skipping <laughs> this one. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, and anything involving Deanna Troy in any way you pretty much skip. Come on. What about when she was, she's, when she's she has one, disguised as a Romulan? That's right, she has one good storyline, that's when she's disguised as a Romulan. Everything else just to skip over. Mm. Any episode that focuses on Geordie, skip over. <laughs> oh man, what about the one where he's down, where he's with the Romulan in the cave and they've got to, like, you know... Look, if it's not, if it's not Picard, Worf, Data, or Riker just being a, like, ridiculous sleaze, then <laughs> it's not worth watching. <laughs> You're being mean. I, I like the Luxwana episodes. They're good. No, you, no, you don't. I do. I, like no, the, I, I really I do like the one home. where she's got... Um, What's Wolf's son's name? Alexander. Alexander. Yeah, where, where Luxwana and Alexander are heading out, and they go down to the planet and stuff. It's cool. It's very sweet. Right, so you like boring TV, then. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what you say, dear. Please, please bore me. No, no. If, if I like boring TV, I would watch The Wire. But uh, moving no. on. So you're saying Luxwana Troy episodes are better than The Wire? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Omar will have words with you. That's just wrong. Man's got to have a cold. My code is no Luxwana Troy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> Moving on to Crystal's pick, we have Snipers by, no surprise there, Christine Catherine Rush. <laughs> well, I didn't get time to read, as Richard said before, I didn't get time to read a lot outside of the uh, podcast. And um, there, while we did read a few good books for the podcast, if I'm going to make time to read it for myself, it's always going to be for my favourite author, isn't it? That's fair enough. And, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's true, but we, what we should probably do is, you know, have uh, David here record, you know, a little bit, leave a certain section blank and go, <laughs> by Kristen Catherine Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's well, nothing wrong with that. Rinse yeah. and repeat. <laughs> well, my book of 2013, Snipers, it's a, it's a bit of a threefer. It's a historical novel, awesome. and it's a crime mystery novel, awesome. and it's a science fiction novel. Awesome. All rolled up into one. It's, it's quite <laughs> you can't good. go wrong. <laughs> Just cast Tom Cruise in there and you'll be right. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, just the look on Crystal's face is horrified. <laughs> You've been served, boy. I don't think there's a role for Tom Cruise in this, to be honest. Because no, it's about a girl, isn't it? Okay, there's oh, not no, a, there is a boy in there. There's not a role for yeah. Tom Cruise and Jack Ritchie, yet they still cast him. They're doing another one, can you believe The, the, fa- the sniper itself is female, right? No. Oh, no? Oh, well. I haven't read it. So I have look, no idea. Why, why don't you just look? Why don't you just be let, silent let, and let Crystal let tell us about the book? <laughs> let me speak! Unless we're just, we'll just sit here for the next hour guessing what the book is about when none of us have read it. It's, it's, uh, have a it's, gun? it's my book of the year, Jeopardy style. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, continue. <laughs> okay, the book is set in Vienna. Um, and the main protagonist of the book, Sophie, is a historian, but she writes true crime novels. The latest book she's working on is uh, for the about the carnival sniper, which is Vienna's most sort of famous mm-hmm. thing. It's, it's like the equivalent of London's Jack the Ripper. Yeah. 
Um, so she's working on that. Uh, her story set in 2005. Back in 1913, the, the main detective there is investigating the carnival stuff, and he writes everything down. He's a bit of a head of his time as far as detectives go, and um, takes notes of much more things than, than otherwise would have been. So she's sort of read up on his stuff and other stuff, and she's trying to put all the story together. I can't really say much about it without giving away how it work, uh, how it all works, but basically it all involves time travel, and you're not that's not giving anything away because you find out about that right from the very start. This basically involves time travel, and you find out about this very early on. So I'm not giving away that the snipers actually come back from the future, <gasps> and so the whole novel's sort of about Sophie discovering how it was all done, and and um. And, and also, to a lesser extent, the detective from 1913 sort of solving the case, but much later on. Sounds cool. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it is very cool. It's very hard to talk about without giving too much away. I highly recommend it, as you would assume I would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next up we have Bo, and his pick was 112263 by Stephen King. Yeah, so I only read one book this year. And it was eleven twenty two sixty three. If you're only going to read one book, but that's, it's good that you learned to read this year, so you could read that book. That's impressive. Yeah, did you? I've actually read... been working on it a few years. <laughs> so basically, the main character is a he's a teacher at, a, at like an adult education center, like um, people that are getting their GED. So maybe they dropped out of high school or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of his students is a little on the slow side. Uh, but he's a really nice guy. This teacher's been working with him, you know, a lot to try to help him get his GED, uh, kind of more so than he would with with other students. And um, they go to eat every day at this diner. At that, the guy that owns the diner sells the cheapest cheeseburgers in town. I think he, I think in the book they're like seventy five cents or something ridiculous. And the main character of the book is trying to figure out how can this guy sell these burgers for seventy five cents. And spoiler alert, the meat is people. No, I'm just kidding. Silent <laughs> <laughs> <Tyler> Green. <laughs> this is this is all this is a little spoilery of the first chapter. You learn this right at the beginning of the book, but basically, uh, the guy that owns the diner has a portal to uh, a specific. It goes to September 9th, nineteen fifty eight, at precisely eleven fifty eight a.m. So every time you go through this portal, you go to that same spot. And okay. then he goes to a um, a butcher that sells him, you know, however much meat for like fifteen dollars, um, you know, enough meat that it would cost him hundreds of dollars, you know, in our time period. And he carries the meat back, he <laughs> grinds the meat up, makes the cheeseburgers, sells them for seventy five cents. And then when he needs more meat, he goes back. Now, since he goes back at September ninth, nineteen fifty eight. Precisely 11:58 a.m. every time, he's actually buying the same meat butchered from the same cow, sold by the same guy over and over again. So he's been selling people the same cheeseburgers for like 26 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, that is bizarre. That's a short story all of its own. Time paradox yeah, yeah. is right there. <laughs> this is, this I mean, there's is nothing the to say that the original meat that he buys in the past isn't people. Mm. There's nothing to say. <laughs> That's true. He could be serving people. We just don't know it. Um, but this is the way Stephen King kind of describes the time travel. So because because you know that he comes to the same point every time and it's the same meat every time, you know that whenever he goes back to that point, he resets. So anything that happens after 11.58 a.m., if he goes back, he resets all that. 
So okay. if he does something else, if he saves somebody. So the course of the, the, the course of the book is he has about three or four things that he wants to do. Uh, his friend Harry, the character that is his GED student, he finds out is slow because he was hit in the head with a hammer by his father. And so he decides, well, I'm going to go back in time and prevent that from happening. Um, I'm also, he also has a few other people in the future that he wants to, to help. And he also meets people in the past that he thinks he can help. And so he decides, well, I want to, I got to go save Harry. I have to go save this woman. I have to go save this woman. And then I've got to save Kennedy. And this whole span has to go from 1958 to 1963. So he has to live in the past. Through the course of the book, he has to go back a few times. And I can't give too many spoilers away, but, but basically, like, Let's say he saves Harry, and then the next person he's supposed to save, he messes up, and he has to go back. When he comes back in again, he's back to September 9th, 1958, 11.58 a.m. So he has to do Harry again. He has to save Harry again, yeah. yeah. And he can try to do things a little differently than he did last time. It's Stephen King, so there's also this kind of like, it's not just science fiction. There's also this like supernatural eerie feel to it, and basically what that is, there's almost I kind of imagine it as the smoke monster on Lost, but like <laughs> like time is obdurate. Like time doesn't want him to change it, and so whenever he's about to do something that is going to change time, the the energy around him, the air is thicker. He like the um, the way it's described in the book is like as he's trying to open a doorknob, like he feels like he's moving through water instead of air. Like time itself is just trying to keep him from doing this. And so it's it's a really good book. It's really creepy. The JFK thing is what drives him to the end of the book, but so much more of the book is, is about just beyond saving JFK. I mean, I guess if you write a time travel book, you're going to do one of two things. Are you going to kill Hitler or are you going to save JFK, I guess? <laughs> I would have met Marilyn Monroe. You could do both. <laughs> <laughs> um, bring bring, bring but, uh, JFK back with you to kill Hitler. <laughs> anybody that's a Stephen King fan, anybody that's a sci-fi or time travel fan would love this book. Okay, so uh, last up with our favourite books is uh, myself with Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. Um, now, this book didn't come out this year. <laughs> it's been out for uh, quite a few years, uh, but I did read it for the first time this year. And uh, I read it mainly because um, I was going through a bit of a phase where I was, I was reading scripts themselves, uh, but also sort of people behind, you know, the stories behind the scripts and sort of some books on, on writing and stuff like that. And you really can't go wrong when you when you're going with William Goldman. Um, now the reason I, I singled this one out is is because it was just so enjoyable, mm. such an enjoyable read. A lot of these sort of books are, are quite dry. There's a couple. There's, there's a couple of ex, uh, really good exceptions. There's uh, Story uh, by McKean or whatever. Robert, Robert, McKean, yeah, McKean. Robert McKean, uh, is, which is excellent. I recommend to anybody who thinks about writing. Uh, but William Goldman um, is my favorite screenwriter um he hasn't not everything he does is gold but uh what he does do well is exceptionally well mm. um and uh is is a lesson to all screenwriters and uh but more importantly though as, as he's the author of this book he's hilarious mm. and uh and that's that's the, the sort of the reason the reason why i wanted to choose this is i just had a lot of fun reading it mm. not only does the book include the uh, the full script for um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Key, which is pretty cool, but it basically covers it's kind of, it's kind of like a biography, uh, but only covers a certain period of his life, uh, namely his experiences in Hollywood. It's a little bit out of date now, but it's, uh, it's such an enjoyable read that it was it's worth it just for that. Mm-hmm. In order to get um, it's it's for, for lovers of gossip, so it's got like sort of sort of 
he doesn't he doesn't go too far into it, but he's got some little tidbits that are quite interesting to sort mm. of what happened behind the scenes of these classic films, mm. um, including All the President's Men, yeah. which is a magnificent. All the President's Men has an entire story, uh, a chapter all of its own, mm. and it's the best chapter in the book, I think. Um, Closely followed by Marathon Man, I think. Yeah, the revelations Marathon about Man. Dustin Hoffman and Marathon Man. No, no, are yeah, quite it's some. a really really good one. Um, and it's followed up with a sequel, uh, which Lie Did I Tell, which is uh, not quite as good, uh, but is is still enjoyable. So um, check it out. Mm. Yeah, no, that's I, that's an excellent book. I think it's actually one of my favourite books of all time. Oh, there you go. Mm. I think it's a really it, it's informative. It, it's all that story, but it you know he doesn't just do what Ron McKee does. He you know actually talks about his experiences. Yeah, having to you know dealing with needing to make changes and dealing but dealing with the personalities that try and make film as well. Yeah, I think I think they're they're very good companion pieces. Mm. Um, this story is all about. The, the art of writing yeah like the craft and then uh William Goldman's like well this is what's going to happen when you get into this <laughs> situation yeah. it's uh it's, it's great stuff awesome that was our books so next up we have our comics best comics for 2013 starting with Richo and the Manhattan Projects uh the Manhattan Projects is a comic book from Image written by uh Jonathan Hickerman and uh it is the absolute most insane comic book that, that's out there at the moment it is just <laughs> Um, it is full of um, just one bizarre and, and fantastic idea after another. Um, it um, centres around an alternate reality version of the Manhattan Project, the experiments conducted in the 1940s, starting with, um, you know... Um, Oppenheimer? Uh, um, Robert Oppenheimer and the attempts to create a, the atomic bomb. Um, but this just takes that whole project in a completely other direction. Um, you, you have, um, you know, cannibals, you have vampires, you have... Uh, like his, Cyborgs. Cyborgs. His take on the scientists mm. is um, the first thing that really appeals to me. He, he takes each of the existing scientists uh, connected with the Manhattan Project and just takes them in really bizarre directions um, because they are alternate reality versions and they are then making contact with um, other, Manhattan projects. other Manhattan projects. And actually, that's where the title comes from because one Manhattan project contacts another, which contacts another, and they form like a like a network of Manhattan projects working together at some point. Yeah, you have an uh, Oppenheimer, who I think is actually probably the most fascinating character in the book. Yep. Um, and without giving too much away of how Oppenheimer is presented here, one of the things I loved about uh, this year's um, stories was the Oppenheimer Civil War that takes place inside Oppenheimer's head. <laughs> it is, yeah, it's... Like it's 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 a very difficult book to describe exactly what's going on because it's um it, almost in the style of somebody like um eighties Grant Morrison, um where just it's just just bombarding you with these totally bizarre and original ideas just one after another in quick mm-hmm. uh, quick, quick progression, um to so sort of really be able to just focus on what's going on in the book is a little bit difficult but it is such a crazy book and there's so many um. Yeah, so such an inventive book, so many interesting ideas going on in it that um, it's just an absolute joy to read. Um, it is just unbridled creativity at its best. And I, I must say, though, it, it was a difficult choice to pick my comic this year because there are so many good... Um, well, once again, like, like I was saying earlier with, say, television versus Hollywood, um, what you have in comics at the moment is the independents versus the big two. And I find yeah. that the big two are just producing garbage at the moment. Like they, yeah. they are like Hollywood cinema. They're just—it's just everything's 
big crossovers and boring stories that never go anywhere and don't really end. And, you know, whereas what's happening in the independence at the moment from Image, Dark Horse, um, you know, even companies like IDW with Lock and Key, there's just so much creativity at the moment, so many good books to choose from that it was actually really hard to to sort of just pick one. But um, that should tell you just how good Manhattan Projects is. Amongst all of these great books, that was my favourite of the year. Image is on fire. Uh, uh, there are thirty. There are thirty plus books I could have picked from Image this year. Yeah. That's how good they've been. Cool. So next up is Luke with another awesome quality pick. This is uh, Astro City. Um, I had two runners up for this year that almost made top contender. Um, one was Phantom Stranger issue ten, um, which was the only like uh, to be fair, the best of two only two good issues of the travesty that was Trinity War, getting back to what um, Richo said about the big two producing... What a piece um, of rubbish. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trinity War. I stopped reading Justice League, which I'm, and I'm a long-term Justice League reader yeah. after Trinity War. Yeah. Um, but the Phantom Stranger issue, tie-in issue, was magnificent, and kudos to James Mattias. The other one that was, for a moment, they're going to be my number one, was the first issue of the Sandman Overture. Nice. Um, partly because it's nice to have Neil Gaiman writing Morpheus again, but... Also, especially for J.H. Williams' um, astonishing artwork, it's it's superlative. He always ups his game no matter what project he's on, and it's true here. But I had to eventually just settle, eventually settle on Astro City because, damn, is it nice to have Astro City back again. It's been far too long since we've had a regular Astro City series, and as long-term listeners will know, I have a huge love for what I consider to be the best superhero um, uh, series ever written. And it's nice to it's nice to get back into the focus being not on the guy flying up in the flying up in the sky, but the focus being on the guy standing up there saying, "Look up in the sky." That's what yeah. um, Astro City is, is excellent at um, the the little man on the ground, and it does it has captured that quite nicely. Hmm. Having said that, we've also he's getting to the long promised um, return of the Confessor, yeah. um, which is also interesting as it's well. Cool. Yeah, I can't. I've spoken enough about Astro City, but this the return of it is my pick for the year. Okay, so uh, next up uh, would have been Crystal, but uh, she didn't have a uh, comic pick. We will find a comic for her one day. I think I've said this before. Comics just don't draw me. You know, I'm a I'm a visual person in my head. So when I read a novel, I, I can see it, the whole thing in my head. Hmm. So I think reading a comic takes that away from me because they've got the visuals there and it's so stilted and disjointed and there's just not enough descriptive words to draw me into the story it's 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 sort of a, it's it's like the difference between a photograph and an impressionist painting it's got the broad brush strokes there and you've got that sort of outline of a story whereas the novel's got everything Wow. Mm, disagree with that, but anyway. <laughs> I, I, I also disagree, but I did very much like the description. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I also I, I can't stand the way it's always written in uppercase. Because <laughs> I find that hard to read. I don't know why. Really? Yeah. I think it's worse when comics try to do cursive. Mm. And I'm just, oh, I can't I read this. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I just, and then you yeah, pop it out there that women actually wear clothes occasionally too. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, once again, that's only a certain time of type of comic yeah. that, that has that, and it just happens base, to be—it yeah. it happens to just be the mainstream comic that does. That I'm does not going to make you read Red Hood and the Outlaws. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that cruel. Although I did make you read it at one point. Hilarious. Anyway, uh, so so with that being said, uh, we'll move on to Bo and his pick for the year, which was Saga. Yeah. So, uh, like man, like Richo was saying. The image put out the best books I thought this year. Definitely, um, 
I should have. I, I feel like I should have picked Manhattan Project now, but um, <laughs> Saga Saga was my 2013 pick. It actually um, was published. It's 2012 uh, mm-hmm. is whenever it actually came out. But um, I read I read it all this year, and it's funny. I actually read it. My mom was having a surgery done, and while me and her, uh, and she's fine. It was just like an in and out thing. Okay. But while me and her was in the waiting area at the hospital, I'm reading it on my iPad. And I keep like I read an entire issue, and then whatever happens at the end, I'm like, "Oh, mom, check this out!" Here's what, <laughs> like I told her the whole story, and then I feel like while while she was under anesthesia getting the operation done, I think she probably has this whole epic story going. On. <laughs> and, and then you know you never remember what you dream in anesthesia, so she probably has her own version of Saga. <laughs> That was like way better than the original version, but no one will ever know it existed. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But but Saga, it's like a it's a it it almost reminds me of like the first time you see Star Wars, which I, most people probably can't remember exactly when they first saw it. But um, I remember watching Star Wars when I was a kid, and just all the different elements of the story. This guy hangs out with a big hairy guy and this guy hangs out with these two robots and like this guy hangs out with a big hairy guy. <laughs> this has got into a weird sort of place technical terms, it's walking it's, carpet. It's, <laughs> it's like this weird like ragtag team of people that have these unusual powers or abilities. Yep. Um, and they're on this epic adventure together. And and that's exactly what Saga is. Like every issue they introduce something new, like you know the rocket ship forest, or yeah, you know that that was like, a great moment. The rocket ship forest that uh, that sold me <laughs> on the series. <laughs> it's just it's just so bizarre that you have to go like, how did the guy come up? Like how did they come up with this? Yeah, what made him think of a rocket ship forest? Or like you know their babysitter is is a, is a ghost that's now attached to the to the baby. You know, like it's like what is where do they come up with these things? I, I binge read the whole thing up until current, um, with within just a month or two. I, I did it pretty quickly, um, and and it's and it's a really good read. I'm definitely adding this to my pool for good, and I hope it's going to be around for a while. It's a good book. Fortunately, it's been unbelievably successful, so I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. But um, no, yeah, yeah, it won it's, an it's Eisner one this year a and a Hugo this year. Yeah, yeah. and look, I, I must admit, it was. Uh, as you were saying about Manhattan projects, it was Saga was actually one of the ones on my short list of about forty image books to choose from. Mm. So yeah, good pick. Yeah, and it was my pick for last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I see, I buy them all individually, and then I should have just bought the trade because I read them all fourteen issues at a time. You know. Right, okay. <laughs> That's, That's weird, not, man. No, it's actually not a bad way to do it these yeah. days. Where you're buying an individual issue, you're reading it in five minutes, and just felt like you weren't really getting much of a read. It was, so. like, it was like a McDonald's meal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I could understand that just, just buy it and then read it in chunks. I could understand that. I, I just got this image of you having a Big Mac and then reading the wrapper. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they've got nutrition invo- information on there. It's a good read. <laughs> uh, the McDonald's wrapper would still be a better read than uh, Trinity War. The story That's of so Grimace. true. <laughs> story just... of Grimace and the Burglar. The yeah, see, they've got stories think... on the placemats. I don't, think, I don't think Marvel gets out of this as well, because Age of Ultron was a load of crap too. Age of Ultron was rubbish as well. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and Infinity. Worse. No, actually, I, I liked Infinity. Well, you're just wrong. 
I'm not too sure. Actually, I thought Infinity Actually, was, was a return to form. I'd rather, I'd much rather reread issues of Saga yeah. or Manhattan yeah. Projects. Well, well, than, well, no, no, well, no. Let me clarify here. Yes, Saga <laughs> and Manhattan Projects superior comics. I'm not denying that. I'm not an idiot. But Infinity was was Marvel at least trying to not be shit. And failing. That's the goal for 2014. <laughs> and, the, and the artwork from Oppena. Magnificent. I really, I really feel like 2013 in the comic realm of things, like it really did set, like the big two are almost dead to me now. Like yeah. I don't think, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm buying anything but image books for a while until, until something changes there. Well, the, the big two is yeah. not dead, not dead to me because as we'll learn from my pick, which was, Shock horror, Superior Spider-Man. Hang on, didn't you? You went off on a tirade about the Superior Spider-Man I know, at one point, a, about how awful it was and what a disgusting but decision. But it's not unusual made. for him to say that and then come out and say it's the best thing ever. Yeah, fair point. That is such a good point. <laughs> I, I, when 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 Superior Spider-Man was starting, so the last few issues of Amazing that eventually turned into Superior. I was not a happy man, and uh, I mean, I went on a nerd rage, and you certainly you know, did. And I didn't not quite as bad as some of the people on the internet that you know. I won't mention any names, but you know, death threats are not necessary. Mm. No, at the it's, end of the day, it's just a comic. It's just a fictional it. character. But anyway, that being said, um, I wasn't pleased, and uh, a couple of the things that I wasn't pleased about was, was um, obviously the loss of Peter Parker, and I think he, he went out like a like a you know what starting with B, and and. And I, I didn't. I didn't approve. And you know the Mary Jane situation and all that sort of stuff. But all of that was eventually dealt with. Um, but I've, as as a Spider Man fan, I've been reading the title, and there was a strange shift. There was a, there was a weird sort of shift in my brain as I was reading this this title because it's good. I mean that is that's the shocking thing about it is is actually as as much as the original premise annoyed the crap out of me, the the title itself is so well crafted and. And it knows. See, it, we actually, I actually interviewed uh, Dan Slott for the for the podcast, um, and it was it was uh, an eye opener for me because I tried very hard before the interview to sort of get into the right mindset so that I wouldn't go onto a, a you know massive nerd rage because <laughs> I just I mean I was ready to attack you know what I mean and that's just no way to go into an interview um, regardless of who it is and but then I was I found just how lovable Dan Slott was I mean he was he was a joy to talk to um, and. He made he had, my best bits. He did, and uh, <laughs> he made Crystal's clip show. But more importantly, though, he had this awesome sort of sly wink at any question that I had, That uh, even some of the questions that didn't make the show, that he knew that I was annoyed. He could, you know, I was, <laughs> I was obviously annoyed, but he had this, uh, this really cool sort of sly, winky sort of responses. And at some points, I actually got, it actually made me more annoyed because I was like, well, this guy's not taking this interview seriously. But listening back and sort of thinking back about it, he actually was. He was completely serious. He mm. was, but he was serious in the way that he was thinking. Well, I know this guy's annoyed, yeah. but I'm doing what I'm doing, and you know I'm cool with it. And it's been selling lots and lots and blah 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 blah. And you know I'm gonna I'm gonna have some fun here. And it's it was great. It was an awesome experience. And that's helped me with the book itself because I'm actually now I'm now reading this title with. It's, I mean it's it's well written. It's, you just can't deny it. Right? That it's actually it's a well crafted story, regardless of the premise itself. And now that I know his mindset behind it, like I've actually spoken to the man himself, and now that I know his mindset, I'm having nothing but absolute joy reading this title. And uh, actually, I, mean, I know it's going to end before, by the time Amazing Spider-Man 2 comes out. Peter will be back. But even if for some strange reason they do continue it in some way, is it like an alternate universe or a what-if or a whatever, 
I'll keep reading it because I think it's it's a breath of fresh air that um, Marvel in it especially needed. That's exactly what I got out of listening to that interview that you did mm. from an outsider point of view because I've not obviously I've not read the comics, mm. um, but I got from that 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 he got the chance to write Spider-Man, which is very exciting to him. Yeah. And oh, yeah. he was going to write his own story, regardless of what all the fanboys thought. Because he, mm. he could have just gone down the road of just writing for the fanboys yeah. and just you know, writing the same old, same old stuff over and over again. But he wrote his own story. He had a plan. He knew it was going to happen. He wasn't too concerned mm. about the backlash because he knew how it was going to turn out. Yeah. And... I think he enjoyed himself sort of sitting back and watching it all break loose. And I think, totally. And, and I think the story around the, the comics is as interesting, or well, more interesting for me, because I don't read them anyway, <laughs> as the comics themselves. That's I, awesome. I've got to say, I, I just don't understand the, the fanboy rage when a character is killed off or replaced. And maybe it's just kind of, I've been reading comics for like, you know, 30-odd years now. I've seen just about every character replaced at least once, and they almost invariably come back. Like, every single character returns. I can't believe I'm hearing this. You, you, I saw your face when Scarlet Witch got screwed and disassembled. Yes, I was, I was. I was. But at the same time, I didn't then go off on a tirade about it or get, well, go, go after I the, don't you know. know. Don't you know. You send death threats to the creator. I didn't send death threats to the creator. Okay, look, because you're not an idiot. But <laughs> you still, there was plenty of, there was plenty of lounge room tirades. Yep. With, with, oh, but that's different. Yes. That's a lounge room tirade. That's amongst friends. But if you were, if you were as on, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say internet savvy, but if, but if you, I mean, if you, I mean, you weren't so much into comic book resources as you are now on the forums and stuff like that. Yeah. If you were at that point, though, you would have been on there for sure. Not, not, not. Look, I wouldn't be sending death threats. I wouldn't no. be because no. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, <laughs> it all the, the characters come back. Like it'll all reset eventually. And it took like ten know. years. She's <laughs> only just come back now. Yeah, but but, but the, it, I got to a point. I got to a point a few years ago where I went, okay, so Avengers is the worst the book has ever been. Um, <laughs> under Bendis, like I've never read a book that, never read an Avengers book that bad. And there's been some, and there's been some pretty bad moments there's along the way. Like you know, like the the Bob Harris era was awful. The Crossing was awful. The Chuck Austin era was awful. Avengers, but, Avengers was it? Was it three hundred or four hundred? Four hundred. Just atrociously yeah. bad. But but you know. But at the end of the day, even though you had your, your god awful Bob Harris period, then you had the Kurt Busiek stuff, which was awesome, you know. So, yeah. so I reached a point a few years ago. It's like, well, it just means I don't have to read the book for a few years, save some money. Eventually, <laughs> somebody will come along and start writing the book well again. And you know, no surprise, I actually, and, I only and, actually like the Bendis Avengers stuff, but anyway, yeah, yeah, to each their own. Um, <laughs> but you know, but at the end of the day, it just means that you know, with as I was saying earlier, with with the big two writing such god awful comics at the moment. I now have more money and more desire to go outside of that. Yeah. And that's been rewarding because I've been able to experience all of the great books that are being produced by Image, the great books that are coming out of Dark Horse at the moment, stuff like my management. So it's an an independent conspiracy to bring down the big two so you'll buy their books. I'm all for it. (laughs) And all of the great, you know, all of the great reprints of, um, you know, comics from Europe and things like that. I mean, it, it just means that if that, if that part of the industry is garbage, you don't just tirade on it and just clear you're never going to read comics ever again. Just go out and see what else is out there because there's a lot of good stuff. Well, it's not total garbage because Superior Spider-Man is excellent. Oh, look, there's a couple of good books. Yeah, Yeah, Marvel has a couple of good books. DC has a couple of good books. But, you know, Image, 
just dominating at the moment. Mm. Cool. So let's finish up our best of 2013s with our, uh, not necessarily best, but the, our memorable or favourite events from 2013s. So things that happened during the year that are sort of stuck in our mind, that soaked into our noodle. <laughs> uh, so first up we've got Richo with the death of Nelson Mandela yeah not what I'd call one of my favourite moments um, of don't the, lie I saw you cheering <laughs> what now <laughs> um, look it's actually been I must admit been a pretty eventful year but I think it was actually it was sort of capped off with the death of Mandela um, this this actually had more of an effect on me than I, I actually would have anticipated before his death his death made me reflect upon not just his life and all of the things that he went through, but more so on what he represented. You know, he, he came to be, sort of go beyond just being a man and became a symbol for, you know, freedom and struggle against oppression, um, you know, ac- across the globe. He came to represent that on, on, a, on a cultural level. And I, I remember when, when he died, I remember actually reflecting upon... Uh, certainly the latter years when I became aware of what apartheid was and what was actually happening in South Africa. And um, I remember being in, in, in high school writing reports on, on apartheid and um, and sort of really getting sort of heavily involved in what, what his struggle was. And then when he re- was released, you know, sort of signifying the, the collapse of apartheid and, and really the end of that era at a time when so many things were changing in the world. You know, you had the, the Berlin Wall came down, you had the end of the Cold War, there was so, so many things were happening at that point. And that, that um, yeah, that became such a sort of major event for me that when when he passed away and I reflected on all of that, it just brought so much of those experiences sort of came back to me. Um, and, and to lose a figure that, that has actually transcended just who he was to become something so much bigger than that was just enormous. So that that, that to me became the most memorable event of the year. Uh, so next up we have Luke uh, with the short window uh, that gay marriage was actually legal. Mm. Um, for those of you who are listening um, overseas, there was a very brief window of about seven days um, where gay marriage was actually legal in the ACT, which is the Australian Capital Territory in Australia where um, Canberra and um, Parliament House are um, situated. Um, and for a time they passed a law that stating that gay marriage was actually legal in the ACT. And before the High Court could um, uh, overturn the decision, um, there was seven days where gay people could actually go and take part in civil in civil unions and get married for the seven days before the High Court um, eventually overturned overruled the um, the decision. Um, and it's it is controversial because gay marriage has been controversial for um, decades, if not centuries. Um, but it was a step in the right direction, I feel, towards the acknowledgement of um, gay rights as being human rights. Yep. Which, um, it, for me, I've, I've always had an issue with that. You know, gay people are human. There is, you know, it, it's the, <laughs> I yeah. don't quite get why we need to, se- why we always need to segregate. And this extends not just to uh, gay people, but also why we need to segregate against um, uh, gender, against religion, against colour. I, I, yeah. We are all under one... Mm banner i don't quite understand why we keep needing to say these people need so it's you know they all have everyone has a right to get married if they so choose yeah. um it'd be nice to eventually just say marriage yeah, yeah. it's and, and this was a step i think in uh, the right direction towards that uh, yeah unfortunately on contra- on constitutional grounds 
the law, um, the law was actually overturned by the High Court, which suggests that you know we need to change it at a constitutional level. But for a moment there, we actually mm. we actually did something a lot to progress a cause that had that people have been fighting for for decades. It really did represent the best and the worst of this situation. Mm. You know, the fact that the ACT did this at all was fantastic. Mm. I have full support for that. Mm. It was really amazing. And uh, the fact that it was then overturned is legally the High Court did the right thing. From a moral perspective, though, I must admit I was outraged. I saw a good quote from Whoopi Goldberg. She said, if you're not for gay marriage, don't marry a gay person. (laughs) (laughs) Nice and simple. Nice and simple. (laughs) That's one of the funniest things she's said in the past 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, jumpy Jack Flash. Comedy gold. That was 80s. Uh, that was the 80s. Yeah, that's that was true. More than that's a good years point. Ago. That's a good point. <laughs> I stand corrected. Sister Act. Uh, sister Act. Okay, I'll take Sister Act. So, coming up next, we've got Crystal with her favourite tweet. Okay. So, when he, when he says favourite tweet, I mean favourite tweet that I tweeted this year. I don't tweet a lot. I tend to try. I tend to limit my tweets to things that I find interesting, not just what I had for breakfast or that sort of. <laughs> what thing. you're wearing? What or I'm wearing? What sort of rubbish? <laughs> oh my god! I got so wasted last night. I ended up in Canada. <laughs> so now it'd be awesome. <laughs> Are you Miley Cyrus? <laughs> <laughs> um, so this 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 sort of ties in back in with my favourite TV show um, during the election campaign. Uh, one of Mark Humphrey's tirades was uh, he had a, this footage of Tony Abbott, who was the then opposition leader, um, saying that he promised to do this for the country, that for the country. So he just he, he would go on these little rants and saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. And at the end of it, Mark Humphrey's just went, yeah, 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 and we'll get this, this and this and chocolate milk and the bubblers. <laughs> which I thought was hilarious at the time. And then when the we got the result of the election and I was I was sort of thinking about it and I thought, oh, well, well at least we'll have chocolate milk in the bubbles. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. I should tweet that. So I tweeted. Just, just, so sorry, just for our international listeners, I just had to point out, and even some, some of our alternate states, yeah. bubblers are the little water fountains that you that you see in public parks. And, and primary like, schools. And primary schools yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was brilliant. So I put it on Twitter. I put, oh, well, on the bright side, at least we'll get chocolate milk in the bubblers. And I hashtagged it, Rose TV. And um, Mark Humphreys and Jazz Twemlow, also from the show, both uh, favoured it, which I thought that was brilliant. Um, and Jazz ended up following me as well. <laughs> I thought that was quite, quite good. I don't have to say, though, I think Jazz Twemlow sounds like a made-up name. <laughs> and, and the fact that the man has a full face beard and he speaks with an English accent, it makes me think there's something fishy about him. <laughs> He's hiding something. <laughs> He's hilarious, though. But, um, yeah, uh, it's not a momentous event or anything from the year, but it's just one I, yeah, I found. It was cool. Your reaction when the, the roast was following you, is, it, the yeah. jazz was ready. You kept running, kept running <laughs> to the back room. It's like, look who's following me. I'm funny. People will acknowledge I'm funny. <laughs> <laughs> Proper comedian and acknowledged I was funny. That's <laughs> really cool. Professional comedian. That was groovy. Cool. Uh, next up we have Young Bo with the Snowden leaks. Yeah, so I, I, I couldn't claim to be an expert on the Snowden leaks or anything like that, but uh, just thinking back over 2013, all the different things that happened, The at least here in the U.S., this was one of the biggest things that was in the conversation. Uh, like, everybody was talking about about the Snowden leaks. And, and, you know, while 
I don't know all the details of Edward Snowden and and you know what was leaked. I I like the conversation that that it brought up. Like I like that people are talking about this sort of thing, and it also brings up like a lot of like crypto software stuff like that I'm kind of into. Um, and so from just like a geeky kind of technology perspective, um, people are talking about you know Tor and um, you know different sort of you know crypto email clients as opposed to you know Gmail. From a personal standpoint. I don't know why I would care if anybody's reading the conversation me and David's having, right? Um, <laughs> it wouldn't be very scintillating. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, it's just like whenever I did the review last week on We Live in Public, like, you know, because it's being watched, it changes. You know, because society is, is not necessarily private, it changes the way citizens interact. Yep. And I like that that conversation is now... You know, in in culture, people are talking about that, and and so that's basically why I, I picked that. The main one we were getting in Australia was the Julian Assange part of all of this because mm, he's Australian. Because he's Australian, so yeah, um, yeah. So I guess the impact of of what Snowden was releasing, whilst it was it was felt, it probably wasn't quite as prevalent here as it might have been in the US. It's it's fascinating though. I mean, I'm with you, Barry. This this whole you know you know the common man. Well, it's, rising it's, up and releasing all yeah. this, you know, this private information. It, it, it has brought the nature of, of privacy to the forefront, I think. Yeah, yeah what you were saying yeah, there is... Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. And the and, stuff that he released is just frightening. And it's great. It's, it's good that people... It's good that people, as you say, that people are talking about this and people realise that this is what's going on. Mm. And maybe they will actually do something about it or they will speak out about it. So, so. He's, still, he's still in Russia at the moment, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah he just he released his uh, Christmas message. Which was all about, um, you know, privacy and how we no longer, you know, there is no longer any privacy whatsoever and children are going to grow up in a world that doesn't even know what privacy means was the big, the big point of what he was, what his mm. Christmas message was. It was really quite fascinating, so. I did hear a conversation on the radio the other day about um, the wondering if children in 20 years' time will start accusing their parents of putting all their information online from the minute they were born and saying, I never gave you permission to do this. No, that'll happen. Oh, all right. fascinating! That'll happen. Mm. No doubt about it. <laughs> That's interesting. Wow. Okay. Cool. So, so we'll finish up our uh, our, our rundown of 2013 with myself. And uh, now I've chosen. This wasn't my favorite moment of 2013. I just want to point that out, so you don't think I'm a loser. Uh, <laughs> but it just, I'm just fascinated about about the event and and the uh, the backlash of it. So I'm going to go with Miley's performance uh, at the MTV <laughs> Music Awards. <laughs> Now, Miley Cyrus, she's, uh, for, for quite a while now, she's been trying to break out of the, the Hannah Montana sort of stereotype that she's had and, and sort of, and sort of you know, be an adult. And uh, rightfully or wrongfully, she's gone about it in some weird ways. And um, I, I personally think she's gone about it in the wrong way, but she's been trying to sort of force her new, her new adult persona on people. Um, but hey, what can you do? She's a kid, and that's what kids do, right? But not only not only is she a kid, but she's also an extremely famous kid, and so she's just she's reacting the way that what she does because she doesn't really know any other way, and that's fine, right? And this is not a this is not a critique on on Miley herself. What I'm actually fascinated about is that the performance the the performance itself really wasn't that risque. Let's be honest; it's it's no more risque than you get from any rap performance quite a lot of other like Rihanna for example sort of Rihanna's concerts and stuff like that it really wasn't that big a deal firstly the song's terrible so Robin Thicke's song Blurred Lines 
is terrible and is actually offensive. If you have to listen to the, to the lyrics, it's just it's not very good at all. And why was he dressed up as uh, Beetlejuice? That's weird. But, yeah, uh, no. <laughs> this is odd. But uh, was that on? Was that on purpose? Or I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it was. On, <laughs> I don't think it was on purpose. But it was creepy, no matter what, what it was. But the whole Miley in the sort of the, the flesh tone bikini and you know the the big foam thing and the sort of the movements and stuff really wasn't that big a deal. But because of what she's been doing recently and let's face it, Hannah Montana, it caused a, 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 a bit of controversy. And what I'm fascinated about is is the concept of celebrity. If anybody else had done that, there would have been talk, of course, because it was a bit risque, but nobody would have cared, really. Mm. Nobody would have given a crap. And, I mean, Katy Perry's performance, even a little bit later, you know, is, I mean, Katy, she's always getting the chest out, and there's no, nobody bats I, an eyelid. I thought it was more the try-heartedness of it. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. So it's it's that, and it goes back to what I was saying about it. So she's just trying too hard to put on sort of the adult persona, and it's backfiring, I think, a bit. Mm. But this whole thing about this, how she's uh, celebrities are meant to be role models, and that they should act a certain way, so that children are not influenced. I just think is absolute rubbish, mm. and it's just, it really frustrates me. Is this the cult of celebrity that's built up around these people, and that they're they're pressured into, into acting certain ways that they don't want to act. I mean, they're people just like anybody else. So if Miley wants to do stuff like the MTV Awards or Wrecking Ball, or, yeah. let's face it, it's a terrible video, but if she wants to do that sort of stuff, then then good on her, I say. I'm not a Miley Cyrus fan. I can't stand any of her music. and uh, But I'm, I back her up 100% because she wants to be her own person. Mm. And that is totally fine with me. And I think it sort of culminated, this entire thing culminated in one of my favourite sequences of 2013, where Sunido Connor contacted her and basically said, look, you've got to calm down and and stop what you're doing because you're embarrassing yourself. And Miley slapped her down. I I mean, I'll I'll, check out, you know, check out the internet for what actually occurred. It was, it was really, it was, it was fascinating and it's, um, I, I highly recommend that you check it out. It's just, and it just, that to me sort of epitomizes people getting in other people's business. Mm. It's like, let Miley do whatever the hell she wants to do as long as it's not breaking law. I don't think it is her own person because no. I think that she's manipulated and, and like the whole like, like child star and just like pop music in general is manipulated. There's actually a, a pattern that goes on with, um, these these child singers and it's been happening with Christina Aguilera with Britney Spears where they start off and it's all the you know sugar and spice and you know it's all nice and we're we're all you know clean cut and everything and because of the way that these people then rebel against that but the way they rebel against it is to go to the absolute opposite extreme and it's it's insane so they become grossly over-sexualized to the point where any anything else that they might be doing is lost because it's all all about sex. And then from that point, they either completely burn out or if they're one of the lucky few, they'll find a nice sort of medium in between. But it's really shifting that, that culture of gross commercialization so that this sort of thing doesn't happen and so that someone like a Miley Cyrus doesn't need to be pushed in that direction I think that's the the important thing here so I feel they have yeah. to go in this direction to stay noticed yeah absolutely and it's where's like, where's Billy Ray in all this being where's a, her father yeah he, bad, bad, bad parenting like he, he went on yeah. a TV show and said uh, I, I may have I acknowledge that I may have made some mistakes when I was raising Miley <laughs> but, but it's like uh, well actually 
yeah, the mistake was that you pushed her into the the forced stardom that you put her yeah, put upon it. Yeah, and it's I mean it's like like many things, people will often look for the excuse. Yeah. Um, rather than going, well, maybe I'm at fault. I mean, you know, I mean, the role model thing. I, I see the point you're making there, but if parents were actually more active, exactly right. in um, what their children are watching and viewing and helping their children understand yep. what they're seeing and what it means, then you know, maybe there wouldn't be as much pressure on these celebrities as far as role models go. But yeah. really, really, parenting 101, you, you see what your kids are doing, you see what your kids are watching, and you get an understanding of it yourself so that they have an understanding of it as well. That's what I was, that was, what I was, what I was trying to lead to, yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's not the celebrity's job to tell your children what is, is, isn't, isn't acceptable. Yeah. It's the parent's job. Yeah. But uh, there you go. That was... See that went a bit. <laughs> <laughs> no rage. It went in some interesting things. It went a bit, uh, went a bit mildly there. <laughs> That's just mean. I'm twerking as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> and I think absolutely, it's formulaic. Like it's exactly what everybody in the history of pop has done, yeah. and will continue to do until the industry decides that they can make money some other way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't necessarily think it's Miley Cyrus's. Like decision, I, I think this is just the way that machine, you know, that's the way it runs. Yeah, cool, awesome. Well, that's our, our breakdown of 2013. Is uh, went uh, into really strange and fascinating avenues. <laughs> I didn't quite expect, but that that's what cool. made it such an interesting episode. year. <laughs> so let's just uh, finish up with the coming soon's and uh, the many varied ways that you can contact us. So, so I'll do Australia and uh, Young Bo will do America. So the film's coming out January 9th uh, in Australia are Freebirds, which is an animated film about a turkey who goes back in time in order to stop the thanks the first Thanksgiving dinner and get turkeys off the menu. Oh, Calm just, down. Space it turkey it looks like rubbish. Um, <laughs> and, uh, we, we also get The Book Thief, uh, which I'm very interested in, about, uh, about a young girl who uh, in Nazi Germany who saves books from uh, book burnings um, in order to read them herself, but also in order to then pass on to other people. From everything I've seen from the previews and, and stuff like that, it just it looks very interesting. David and Margaret were impressed. David and Margaret loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's it for Australia. So, uh, Bo? Uh, according to moviefall.com, <laughs> uh, coming out 110, we have The Adventure, The Curse of the Midas Box. Uh, we have Ray's. Uh, don't know what that is. The cover looks scary. Uh, the truth about Emmanuel, and if you built it, they will come. <laughs> no, it just I, says if you built it, not I, built. I it. don't know any of those I, films. I no idea what any of those movies. Rays, are. I think Ray's rings about. I think it's a horror film. Mm. Um, but other than that, I, I think that's yeah. pretty much it. I don't recognize any of those. <laughs> oh well, there you go. That's it. Uh, yeah, let's face it, all the all the good stuff came out last week. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's finish up with the many varied ways that you can contact us. We have our website. www.nerdculturepodcast.com Email. Feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com Facebook. www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast Or Twitter. At nerdculturecast. Uh, you can also Skype us at Nerd Culture Podcast and rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, but most importantly, though, we're also an Amazon affiliate. So we have a widget on the website that uh, Luke mentioned before. If you want to buy anything from Amazon, buy it through the website. 
It doesn't cost you anything extra, but we get a cut of the profits. So it's much appreciated. It helps pay for the show. It's my goal for 2014 to make a million dollars for the Amazon widget. <laughs> Help me get that goal. So that means that everybody that listens to this show has to buy about what, $100 a million dollars so worth of... Right, so we get, we get 4, 4% roughly We've at the moment. We've raised the goal so from means, a Happy Meal to... So someone has to spend, someone has to spend million. $400 million. So get going, listeners. <laughs> you should take them to Kickstarter. That's not undoable. People get can be done. I'm, I'm sure Amazon's profits are more than $400 million, so everybody that shops from Amazon goes to our widget first. Oh my god, that would be brilliant. <laughs> Spread the word, everybody. We <laughs> want to have to work again. <laughs> so that's it for episode 73, our best of 2013 episode. Thanks from me and the crew. Richo. I'm off to twerk so I can become a role model to children everywhere. <laughs> Luke. Thank god 2013 is over. When does the end of the world begin? 2012? I think we're a bit late. Damn it! <laughs> I knew so what I'd you're saying is I need to manufacture an end of world scenario myself. Go for it. Ooh. What are we going to do tomorrow night, brain? <laughs> <laughs> Crystal. Oh, this has been a hobbit of an episode. <laughs> Yanbo. Breaking Bad is really chasing Amy if you think about it. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're going to have to do an episode one day where you explain that logic to us. <laughs> and myself. Bye. 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 Bye.